0: You ask this question all the time, which I love, which is what's going to stop any of our listeners from having success with this? And you hit it on the head. It's if they choose to remain in chaos and just avoid taking the time to do what you did on that Saturday afternoon and begin by saying, hey, I want to organize at least one metric that I'll look at every week. Are you a music school owner looking to scale your program from just a handful of teachers to a highly profitable, well-organized, and mission-driven company? Well, I'm Nate Shaw, co-founder of the Brooklyn Music Factory.
1: And I'm Daniel Patterson, founder of Grow Your Music Studio, and we're here to help you discover a proven pathway to sustainable growth in your music school.
0: So get ready to take your passion for music education and scale it to a seven-figure music school.
1: Hello, welcome back to another episode of the 7-Figure Music School podcast. Daniel here with a special introduction. The podcast you're listening to right now is the second part of a two-part series. We originally intended this podcast episode to be a 30- to 45-minute episode, an episode in which we explored the vital metrics that a school owner should look at each and every week or each and every month. What should be on the owner's dashboard, as it were? Well, when we went to actually record the podcast, it ended up being about an hour and a half. And so naturally, we look for a point to split that in two. So you're going to notice that this episode, when Nate and I begin talking in just a few moments, we really just jump right into it with no fanfare, nothing at all. Well, it's because we we cut the episode at a point that seemed the least jarring. We were moving to one major point to another. However, when we were originally recording it, we didn't know that we were going to be splitting it in two. So this special introduction is just to let you know why we kind of jumped straight into it. The first episode kind of covers the mindset that you need to have um, and the first part of that owner's dashboard that I think everyone should have. So if you haven't listened to that, you might want to start in episode 40. Here before you listen to episode 41. Uh, because we really do just jump into it quite abruptly. Thanks so much, as usual, for uh, your time and attention. We really appreciate it. And without further ado, we're going to jump right into the episode. Bucket number two, the people. Yes. Um, So
0: this sounds a little bit like a sales target, but it's actually a people target. So we look at all of our teachers and we look at the number of students that they had on their roster the previous year. And the percentage of those students that have re-enrolled for the next season. And we look at that as a delivery on promise target, right? Of course, it's a financial metric too. Of course, it's a marketing metric because the more people that re-enroll means you can spend less on marketing for new leads because you've actually hit your inventory capacity or you're getting closer if you just re-enroll students, right? So, but we look at it as a people metric because... There, there will be one or two or teachers that struggle with re-enrollment. And we look at that as a training opportunity. Hmm. And I can tell you every single teacher at BMF right now, including myself, what percentage of their students from one year to next year have already committed, have paid a $95 to say, I want to come back to study at Brooklyn Music Factory with this teacher. And if that number is if that number is basically below fifty percent, then I'm looking at that as a training opportunity. I'm saying, huh, mm-hmm. maybe they're struggling with their musicians journey reports. Maybe they're struggling with communicating with families. Maybe they are uh, struggling actually with their investment in BMF. In which case, hmm, are they a good fit long term, or do we need to have a conversation? You know, so that's a, very much a delivery on promise metric to me. Mm. Um, so, and I think in terms of, so that is a dashboard item. Do I look at it every week? I don't look, I do look at it every week in May and June when we're deep in re-enrollment. Um, but then I won't look at it again until I will look at it as a retention number in the fall monthly. Yes. That's what I will look at. So
1: are there any other numbers that you keep track of than that delivery on promise bucket, which I've called the product bucket, it just, it has to do with what your studio is actually quote unquote selling that experience, that skill building of music lessons, any, any other metric, I have a few things I'm going to add in, but I want to make sure that, that we've covered all everything on your dashboard.
0: I would say there's nothing that I specifically as a founder or CEO look at the only hmm. other metric that I would put in there that we do look at monthly Um, that our private lesson director, Ben looks at, and Jessica looks at in people power uh, is attendance, like attendance at all the meetings, um, how many, you know, whether or not they um, uh, subbed out X percentage of their lessons, we do look at that monthly. Hmm. So, Hmm. but I would say meeting attendance is actually a, a, is a, is an important health check.
1: Well, that might be a good segue to what I kept track of monthly, which was student attendance. Yes. How can you how can your student make progress if they're not attending? So I actually had a clipboard that I carried around, a physical clipboard. I know I'm Mr. Digital Marketing, but there's a lot of stuff I loved keeping pen and ink with. And it was how many so I would get to the end of the year. I still have in a file somewhere over in my closet, I still have attendance sheets from 2010 <laughs> that are in a folder in my closet. <laughs> And uh, look, I'm, I'm a nostalgic person. I don't do this, but I had for, kind of forgotten I'd kept them back and I was going through that because um, we really need to get rid of it because we don't keep paper files anymore. No, <laughs> but It's such a pain to like clean that up. Who wants to do that? It's in the closet I don't even think about. But anyway, I was looking through it and I was like looking back through these attendance sheets. Couldn't believe I still had them. And like seeing names I hadn't thought of in a decade. Oh, I remember that student. They were so good, yeah. you know? But that's something I kept track of. And then I just want to make a special mention here. There could be things for your studio that are really unique that you would keep track of that perhaps other other studios wouldn't keep track of. Um I think a good example, I'm going to give two short examples that I did in my studio. Twice a year I had what I'll call a focus week for myself. And this is something you could implement with teachers. And I think in some ways Brooklyn Music Factory probably does a much more comprehensive job of this because I don't know if you look at it, you probably don't look at it at all, but you have these musician journey reports that need to be turned in. Like you probably check to make sure that they've all been done. You know, that is not a yes. monthly basis. You also have those progress reports that have to be done after lessons. You probably yeah. check to see if they're being turned in correctly. Cause if not, that's a possibly a correction issue in your staff. Mm-hmm. For me, I had these focus weeks where I would take one or two weeks out of the year and do a deeper dive on the quality of, that the student was putting out um, of their work, and and almost like a report card, almost. Um, and I don't think it was nearly as good as the musicians' journey report that you guys did. Which, by the way, we did an episode on in early June of 2022. You should go back and look at it. It's around episode 30. It's not episode mm. 30, I don't think, but it's around there. Um, where we spent a whole episode just taking a deep dive into why BMF does Musician's Journey Reports, how they're a great retention tool, things of that nature. So you might want to go check that episode out. And mine wasn't as robust as yours, but it did give me a good, it made me self-reflect as a teacher to see how, how the quality of the product that I was creating. Eventually I replaced that with participating in the Royal Conservatory assessments. And so I kind of outsourced that check to a highly trained examiner that maybe had more objectivity than i did um and and so i kind of took care of that i'm going to give one other example too um episode 33 we talked to greg jenner from grouplessons.com mm-hmm. and the technology that they use in their studio allowed them afforded them a view on student practice habits that most studios don't have not by a long shot Mm-hmm. And uh, my son takes lessons using that Piano Express system. And literally, uh, the teacher can go in and see how many attempts that my son made on a song in a given week while he's away from the studio, could see how many times he improved his accuracy on the song, like things of that nature. So, one could take data like that if you have some kind of system in your studio. Maybe it's not as high tech as that, but if you have some sort of student measurement tool, either musician's journey report yeah. or something like the Piano Express software from grouplessons.com. Like you could keep track of that on a dashboard. Um, and I do know of Piano Express studios that are actually, um, like keeping track of like how many songs their students pass in a month as a studio and just keeping track of that number. So different, different things like that. So if there's something unique or special that you do in your school, that is either a unique measurement tool or a unique program that you do. You could keep track of something like that as a measurement of how well are we actually effectively educating our students or effectively supporting our staff or keeping track of things like that.
0: And that's the key with bucket number two. That is, you promised something in bucket number one, which is why you got those web forms, which is why people contacted and then said, okay, I will enroll with your school. You promise that in bucket number one. So you measure all the things you're promising and how good you are at getting people to believe in your promise. And then you get to bucket number two and you have to deliver on it. So Daniel, your point is really, really valuable that in your unique studio, there's something you do beyond just having the student attend each lesson, which is a great starting point for your dashboard and having the teachers attend lessons beyond measuring how often your students and your teachers are actually showing up There's something unique you do that you can measure. Don't make it complicated and don't overthink it. Mm. Right. We are a songwriting program at BMF. We measure whether or not every single student is um, is, uh, you know, is booked with a band for the songwriting party. It's a very simple measurement. The teachers literally just check a box. Yes, my student has now been assigned to a band. It's not complicated, but it's mm. huge for us because if we show up to our songwriting party at the end of the season and there's a whole bunch of kids that don't have bands, it's a total failure on our promise, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, so I love that last addition, Daniel. Any any other thoughts before we go to bucket three?
1: Yeah, before we jump into bucket three, there are other things that you can keep track of. I know that BMF, I know that you all run MPS surveys on on uh, with your the parents of your students. So yeah. a net promoter score. that's something very simple that you could do once or twice a year or more often if if need be, where you just reach out to your clients and run a satisfaction survey, put that on the dashboard and maybe it's a longer term dashboard than, you know, um, or maybe it only shows up in a column every few months or once a year or something like that. But I think that's, I just want to put some thoughts into people's minds as to how they could really own this idea and give them some creativity around things that they could potentially measure. So that's the last thing I wanted to put there in uh, bucket number two, not bucket number one. That's not a marketing metric. That's, Hey, how satisfied are you with what we're doing? And yes. uh, the MPS score, just go Google it. It's the, one of the easiest surveys you could possibly run. You could, you literally could just throw that as an extra question on a fall re-enrollment survey or something like that, or run it once a year, or, you know, um, maybe towards the end of the school year. But I, I just wanted to kind of throw that in there.
0: That's a great one. We've been doing it since 2016 when it was recommended to us. And we've only missed maybe a couple of seasons. And basically, it gives you a single number that says this is how satisfied the entire um, set of families or customers are. So love that addition. Uh, Bucket number three, we're getting into people and
1: money. So where do we want to start here, Daniel? (laughs) Back off Yeah, you know, I think... For me, when I think about bucket number three, which is, um, you know, people, money, I'm going to add a word that I think is the most important one, systems, operations, how do you actually make it run? Yeah. Yeah. So a big one for me there, I'm going to say two things. A big one is the financial aspect. I've been talking about financial dashboards since the beginning of this episode. Financial dashboard is a big one. But I also want to acknowledge that it's hard to measure systems. Mm-hmm. My ops manager for Grow, um, what we've recognized is there is a real challenge in measuring that job because it's it's doing. So what are we measuring? Like how effectively did you run that system that was written out right. and that that you're in charge of? You know, so I think this bucket of business is a little harder some aspects of it are harder to manage or not manage, but measure. But the financial part is very easy to measure. This is pure numbers. Mm-hmm. So would it be helpful just to list off a couple of things that I think we should measure?
0: Yeah, hundred percent. Um, maybe I'll start and then I'll ping over to you and, okay. um, the most important uh, not the most important. There isn't, I take that back. One of the key numbers <laughs> is, is, uh, just, you know, revenue, monthly revenue. So simple, so straightforward. How much revenue did you make? And then do you have a clear net income on that? In other words, after, if you made a dollar and it, t- it cost you 80 cents to make that dollar, you had 20 cents left over in net income, right? If you made hundred thousand dollars, you had $20,000 left over. Um, that's a monthly number that I look at without fail. So I'm going to start there with the real basic one. And by the way, if you're listening and you actually don't know how much money you bring in every month, and you it's, or maybe you know how much money you bring in every month, but it's really hard to figure out actually what your net income is, this is actually the dashboard uh, metric I would start with. Start here before you do any other work. Because you're in a business, and a business is measured in dollars, whether we like it or not, right? Um, you could be the most altruistic owner ever. You're still transacting in dollars and time. Those are the two resources you transact in. You know. So, anyways, that's where I'd start. Daniel, where would you go next on your financial metrics?
1: I would say P and is actually king. Because what you have to gather, it's all put in one spot. So you've got gross revenue, you've got your expenses, taxes. Where I started getting more sophisticated with the P&L, because if you go Google P&L and you just P&L template, it's actually not a lot of information you have to collect. Mm -hmm. And you just list it in the column. And at the end, you have gross revenue, net revenue after expenses, you know, um, Where I started getting more sophisticated was actually breaking it out in the categories. And I mentioned earlier in the episode that fella who uh, got 31 leads in December of last year and closed 30 of them. I also saw their P and L, and it was—I think it was over a page long because they didn't just do a basic one. They were breaking it out by category. There was incredible insight and detail that they had there, so that once again, at a glance. It wasn't just a flat expense number. It was, oh, here's all the categories of expenses we have. Well, that isn't for formal p thats isn't required, but it's something they did. It's something that I do. Similarly, you could just have the net revenue collected. It'd be very easy to go to your bank account, your business bank account, look at your statement at the end of the month and look at the number that says how much money came in. I break that out down into product category. So I know how much is coming in for each product category. For traditional P&L, you don't have to do that, but that's a level of detail that as I got more sophisticated with this, that I wanted to see. Mm-hmm. And so I have a team member who actually breaks that out for me. I have a team member, I have a team member that, um, sorry, I just got, I have to turn my notifications off. I have a team member that goes and collects data for me, once again, that isn't required for P&L. So she calculates for us um, our accounts receivable over the coming year so that I know how much money that has not been booked yet that, that um, we will get over the coming 12 months um, because we don't have any uh, anything longer than 12 months out. For a music studio, that would just look like calculating MRR, monthly recurring revenue. Um, and then once again, you could calculate your expected monthly recurring revenue um, by product category as well. It looks like you want to jump in there with something. New. Well,
0: I, I want to bring it. I just want to bring it back to this idea of a simple dashboard mm-hmm. and just frame what you're saying there. Um, you have the amount of money you brought in. I loved your mm-hmm. addition at BMF. I can look at in a couple clicks, the amount of money that came in on the private lesson program, the amount of money that came in the band program camp, and birthdays. That's it. Those are my four income categories. Sorry, there's one other, which is like publishing because we, you know, like license big music games and that kind of thing. So we have that category. But in terms of the school owner, I just look at four income categories. Can I add one other dashboard metric? When you said breakdown operating expenses, I think that's really a great um, addition. However, that's a whole, its own podcast episode really on how you organize the pro- profit and loss statement so that, or otherwise known as income statement, how you organize that, right, Daniel, so that it makes sense and actually is actionable for you as an owner. Um, what I would say though, is one area of operating expenses that you can start with is start with what we call our cost of labor. That's the teachers. That's, we take that right out of the top. Right. We just say income, then cost of labor. How much are we spending every month on our, you know, 10, 20 teachers based on the season? Um, So that's a good metric to have there. That's one I look at monthly. Um, You could call it payroll, I just call it cost of labor. And um, sometimes it's called cost of, you know, goods if you were to sell products, you know. uh, But the point is, is that's another dashboard item that's in the financial bucket for me. I wanna know what our employee costs are every month because just like you said, like 20 minutes ago, Daniel, I'm looking for patterns. As long as they're all staying around 25 to 32% of our operating budget, then we're fine. If all of a sudden it creeps up to 35, 36, 37%, in other words, of every dollar, it costs us 37 cents just to, for the teachers Then I know we're going to run into trouble long-term at BMF. So then that takes my attention. That's the purpose of that number on the dashboard. Um, last number for the financial dashboard, honestly, that I look at is, uh, I loved your accounts receivables, by the way. I absolutely look at that. A simple way of putting that in terms of Brooklyn Music Factory is, you know, this last month, we were meant to collect $60,000 in revenue. I'm just looking at beginning of June 1st. And I'm saying how much is left to collect on that. In other words, how many credit cards failed? uh, And I want to know that our collections person is moving that needle so that I want to know that by like June 10th, there's no more owed to us for June. So that's what an accounts receivable is in real terms for us uh, with, with a monthly recurring revenue. Um, last item is cash flow report. That's a, that's a big one for us. Um, and you kind of talked about that right there. It grow. Um, you might make commitments to clients and they may pay you up front for that. So all you look at your bank account, you know, Brooklyn music factory, it's a perfect example. We get paid for all of summer camp right now. That could be $250,000 that hits the bank account on June 1st. Well, of course, we haven't delivered on that service yet. So you're looking at that cash flow and saying, okay, is it going to stretch through the end of August? And honestly, it has to stretch us into the beginning of September. So cash flow, um, that's a great thing to look up and start researching and self-educating on. If you really have no idea what the purpose of understanding how much cash you have and how long it'll keep your business, the doors open of your school then you really want to carve out some time and, and, and self-educate on cash flow.
1: I don't know about you, but I didn't get an owner's manual when I started my music school. And I wasted a lot of time on trial and error and making things up as I went along. But you don't have to do that. Nate and I are building a library of resources and tools exclusively for fans of this podcast. Go to growyourmusicstudio.com slash seven FMS and sign up to receive podcast updates, free resources, and even submit questions for us to answer on the podcast. That's growyourmusicstudio.com slash seven FMS. And we look forward to answering your questions. Let me talk about that, because um I've been kind of silent here for a bit. I I'm muted because uh Our lawn care guys were out right outside my window with their giant (laughs) mower deck. And so I just muted for a while. I was like, Nate's got this. Let's go. This self-education thing, 100%. I don't want anyone to be confused here that this is super hard because I'm going to tell you a short story about what that looked like for me. It literally looked like on a Saturday afternoon after having, I think I talked about this maybe 20 episodes ago, but not in this detail. Saturday afternoon, I literally just sat down and Googled, how do I build a profit and loss report? And there was, you know, a billion Google search returns. And I just went through and read a couple of them. I, I literally did it in an afternoon, constructed one of my first PLs ever, didn't know how to do it beforehand, didn't need a business degree, didn't need to go to accounting school. It, it was it was very, very simple. And then over time, of course, as I mentioned, I got some of it wrong initially, but it didn't even hurt me. Later I had an advice to be like, oh, you're putting this thing in that category, but it's actually supposed to go in that category. Oh, okay. I didn't anyway. Um, and then, speaking of accountants, I will tell you that now I, I did that for myself for a long time, mm-hmm. a couple of years. And then I hired my accounting team to do it for me. So I gave them access to all my business accounts and they construct the P&L for me once a month, per month for $180. Much better use of money and time. Yes, yeah, totally. The, the two hours I would spend doing all that analysis is worth far more to me than that. I have 160 hours a month to work with each month to spend two of that building the p I'd rather pay someone 180 bucks to do that. But the
0: key to your story for our listeners today is that you did it on your own and it started you have by, to. like it started yes. with a Saturday afternoon and you committed two years of your life to knowing and trusting the numbers, even if only 80% of them were placed accurately. It totally doesn't matter. I will have my I have my check in with our bookkeeper on uh, Thursday, and I will ask her. I always come with questions. I'm like, hey, sorry if this is a dumb question, but one thing about this expense, are we actually categorizing that correctly, or should it go here? You know, you're gonna have questions for the remainder of your life as a business person, um, but you want to invest that time. I feel like we haven't talked at all about human resources metrics and whether or not they actually matter on the initial dashboard. I guess I touched on one with our cost of labor payroll, but do you think we yeah. need anything? Is there anything that you think is essential? You touched on a little around operations, et cetera, but anything in the HR
1: dash? Well, I'm I'm going to actually go meta here for a second and say that that. If you don't, if you don't keep something Nate naturally, like I, I'm not going to sit here on a podcast and, and tell someone to put something on their column that I wouldn't personally do. Yes. So if there's something that you don't personally do, then I I don't think either of us want to sit here and invent things for people to do like, no, This pod, no. the value behind this, the, the values that we have behind this podcast is that we're not making this up. We're just reporting on what we do or what we see, clients do. So yeah, Nate, I, I, I'm not going to struggle too much to try to put a column on there that, that I don't actually keep track of. I would say that probably the one thing I keep track of is the hours spent, but that uh, for my admin staff. So I do get monthly reports from my admin staff on how many hours they actually worked and what they worked on. So that is something I actually check. Mm-hmm. But as a for someone who's building a beginning dashboard, I don't I, I think th- I think you do have to keep track of that because you have to pay them, you know, especially <laughs> if they're hourly. But um, but past that, there's no. not there's not much that I keep track of.
0: And you want to differentiate here. We're talking about the founders dashboard that you're going to look at usually weekly. And I'm not looking at a lot of human resources metrics weekly. Um, monthly, yes, payroll, yes. I'm looking monthly at inventory. In other words, do we have teachers that are taking up all the bookable slots or do we have vacancies and are we in a hiring season? Right, But not weekly. So can we move uh, to the fourth bucket, which is new business? And this is by far the most confusing bucket for everyone in my experience. Hmm. And it was for me Um, because it touches on and it, We got to go up to, you know, we got to go back to some of our most popular episodes like on annual planning, on uh, some of just, we did some of the kind of, uh, we touched on this a little bit in the five books episodes that we went into, which is that, you know, when you set, when you're running a music school or any business, one of your jobs as the founder is to understand what the critical issues are right now. And what few projects you're going to take on to try to address those over the next year, right? That is, other than running out of money, those are the two most important things you do. Assuming you've already figured out what your values and purpose of having this music school are in the first place. Assuming that you already came in with a really clear purpose and you know what your values are and you won't compromise on those. The two jobs that you have as a founder are what's critical right now? And do I have a project that I'm going to work on and pay attention to over the next year that's going to hopefully solve that issue? That's where the new business bucket comes in. Because very there are going to be a few things that will help solve that critical issue. One of them may be a new product or service but oftentimes it's not a new product or service that is going to solve the issue. Let me give you a concrete example. Um, At BMF, right now, our three main goals are, number one, open our new location. Okay, number two, sell out group classes that were paused during the pandemic. In other words, essentially, injecting life back into some group classes that we paused in 2020, right? So that's, there's very real sales and marketing targets there. Um, and then the third one is purely a money one. It's just reach a certain revenue target while only spending 80% of our gross income to get there. Got it? There is not a single new business idea in there. Nothing. Nothing. There's no, you know what we're going to do this year? We're going to offer, you know, group guitar classes because maybe that'll get us enough students. No new ideas in there. So you ask, okay, well, how does that actually pertain to our dashboard? Because one of the key things I ask myself as a founder every month, every week rather, is of those three goals, how confident am I in each one? Every week without fail, I look at them. I have them in my Evernote. I look at those and I say, I'm about 60% confident we're going to nail this one, number one, about 40% confident, number two, and about 90% confident number three. And you might say, well, what's the purpose of that metric? The purpose of that metric is self-awareness and getting really focused as a founder. Right. And that is so essential because we we open this episode, right, talking about bucket number one marketing. And for many of you listening, actually, one of your critical issues is probably a marketing one, right? So then you're going to be looking at building out that dashboard in marketing, finding the trends, finding the patterns, as Daniel put it, and then asking yourself, how confident am I that I can increase traffic on this specific landing page for a new group piano class from 50 a week to 100 a week? right? That could be your project for the whole year, right? So then weekly, your dashboard, you have to ask yourself, how am I moving forward with that specific project if I believe that's going to solve the issue? And then how confident am I in myself? I read a great quote the other day, Daniel, and then I'm going to ping it back to you, which was, I'm, I'm, re, I'm only like 10 years behind everybody else, but I'm reading the Steve Jobs biography that came out in like
1: 2013 or something like that. The Walter Isaacson one? Yeah, yeah. So, oh, it's such a good book.
0: It's so good. And I'm just, I'm, I'm at the point where he's talking with, um, I believe he's talking with the founder of Atari, well, one of the founders of Atari. And the founder's like, look, I mean, as, as, a, as a business leader or as a leader in your organization, the one thing you have to have is confidence that your vision is going to work out. So basically, every day you show up, and even if you have no idea how to get to the finish line, you just make it clear to everybody on your team that you're absolutely getting to the finish line. And you don't know how yet. but So that's what that confidence beater is. I'm asking myself, how confident am I that we're going to open up a new location by a certain date within budget? I'm asking myself that. And then when I go to my team which I have to report to every week on the progress of that because I own that project. I have to be like, we're 100% going to get there. Now, there's a couple of things that are going to change, but we'll absolutely open those doors. That's all I got to say on that for the new business bucket. Um, By the way, it's also called the shiny object bucket. Be very careful if you think there's like six different cool new things you could do at your school that will fix it. Um, So anyways...
1: Well, it's interesting because in some ways, what you've highlighted there is that new business bucket. I'm not going to say it's a misnomer, but the title of it is a bit misleading almost because you mm. hear new business, you think new product, product when what it might be better called is new project bucket. Uh, and it's really a function of probably one of those other buckets. If, you've got a, if you're starting something new in the school, it's probably in one of those other three buckets. What's interesting is that, and by the way, I'm not fundamentally disputing what you're saying there, Nate. I think you actually acknowledged that in what you were saying there over the last couple of minutes, um, that if there's a marketing problem, you're, you have a project, it's new, it's taking your attention, your focus, but it's in that marketing bu- bucket. If it's, a, if it's a staff problem, it might be an HR. If it's a pro- I think you see the point I'm getting at. What I want to point out is that two things. One, there's all kinds of systems for organization. And I found this to be true that the first time I encountered one of these, I really got starry eyed over it. Um, and so, you know, Nate, yours, when I met you, I'd already been thinking about my business in a particular way for a number of years. And and even in our favorite books episode, which I think was episode 13, I mentioned a book that had an outsized impact on me, Scaling Up by Vern um, mm, like Harnish. Yeah. That was actually the second business framework I'd run into. The first one was by this guy, Scale, by mm. Jeff Hoffman and David Finkel. And they have not four categories, but five. And some of the things that you're talking so that was the first one I came, ran into. And I didn't know that there was any other. I was like, oh, they break it into five, five buckets or five pillars is what they called them. Um, and then I found Scaling Up. And then I heard about traction and then the entrepreneurial organizational system. And there's mm-hmm. all these different things out there that help you mentally categorize what a business is. There, um, the guy who wrote this uh, you know, had his own. And then I met you. And as soon as I heard your categorizations, I instantly understood them because I could relate them to these other categories that mm-hmm. I had learned. There's no right or wrong one. I want to kind of mm-hmm. point that out. Um, I think it's what makes most sense to us And, and what we want to commit to learning, but what, but here's why I'm bringing all this up because what you're talking about there in the new business bucket is actually what um, David Finkel calls the executive leadership pillar. Mm -hmm. And, um, in the book, he talks about, um, that as an executive in your company, you have some responsibilities that no one else has and no one else can have. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately the buck stops with you. You're the one who decides what programs to put into your community. You're the one who decides what your hiring practices are going to be. And while you might delegate those things out, they, they fall under your purview. You never truly lose the responsibility for those because you know I've got team members that are making suggestions to me about policies and copy for our marketing and those sorts of things. And some of them are in, of high enough importance that I override if I don't think that it's being done correctly, or if I if I think we've lost the plot, or I don't think it's going to put forward the goals of the school, and so or, or the business, <laughs> as it were. Um, and so, I think what I'm really ultimately getting at here is that because the buck stops with you,
0: um,
1: in this new business bucket you know, I don't necessarily have a, a metric for this, you know, the percentage confidence thing, but for me, the metric is have I actually done my homework on a definitely yearly basis, definitely quarterly basis, but even on a weekly basis to make sure that we're all aligned and that the things at the top of my to-do list are in alignment with what I said we want to get done this year. And am I meeting regularly with key team members and and and. Um, and making sure that they're in alignment, too, for example, I, I, you know, we've this has been a big example episode because I think mm. there's the abstract fact or thought, but then there's like, here's how that plays out, which I think concretizes it. But once a month, I have my head of ops who is over basically everything in the business At multiple i mean she's got a lot of responsibility she sends me a list of all the projects that she has self determined she will be working on this month mm. and i organize them she like here's the order in which I, I of importance and i do like a double check on like oh i actually i think that needs to go up this takes me again 30 seconds a minute maybe tops but we have a recurring task in our task management system where she is required to send that to me before the beginning of the coming month, what she's going to be working on. So it isn't necessarily a metric we're tracking, but it is, but it's like, it's like a yes, no, has it been done or not? Yes. Yeah. And you know? this is,
0: and and like, you know, the title of this episode, I don't even know what the title is, but it's about <laughs> a dashboard that allows us as founders to look briefly at something and assess where to put our attention. That last example is great. Let's say your ops person gave you a list and it was way off the mark. Mm -hmm. Clearly you'd be like, oh, I'm actually gonna have to pause some other things I'm working on this week to make sure that we'll get back in alignment. And I wanna make a, I wanna clarify something around the new business bucket. Um, Okay. We talked about the dashboard and we said, we broke it up into buckets for you. Do you have marketing and sales metrics that you measure? Do you have something about delivering on promise that you measure? You brought up really good examples, student successes that you can can you measure something about students and about teachers. Then you get to the third bucket, money, money, money. That's where really where we focused. And then the new business bucket is are there new opportunities that it's time to invest in to help grow your business? Right. Mm-hmm. When I was saying, I asked myself the metric that applies to the new business bucket is around the confidence in our current annual projects is because you don't know if you have the bandwidth as a individually and as a company to handle a new opportunity, unless you've actually self-assessed on the current critical issues you're managing. So that new business bucket is literally new opportunities, right? You've decided now's the time to launch your rock band class, right? Or you've decided now's the time to introduce a string uh, program in your private lesson department, right? Or something like that. You you need to start on your dashboard by self-assessing on the current projects that you're moving forward to know whether or not you have the resources necessary. Start with just time. Do you have enough margin in every week to handle a new opportunity? Because it's going to require really intense focus on your part to get that thing off the tarmac, into the air, and eventually cruising at 30,000 feet, right? You and I have talked a lot about this. You're not launching a group piano class in like one month. You know, you could get all of your marketing. You could get, you know, you could bring on an amazing program like Piano Express and get your delivery on Promise, Pieces in line, but then it's going to take consistent effort from a marketing and sales standpoint to grow that to the point that you trust it and it's serving your business as much as it's serving, um, as much as the other departments are serving your business. That's all I meant by the new business bucket. Mm, And so that percentage confident metric is just do I have the margin to take on a new opportunity?
1: Mm, Do I have the
0: cash to take on a new opportunity? You know?
1: And here's the thing. You've really brought it full circle with that. Because look at what you said. Do I have the time? Do I have the cash? Do I have the team? Does the team have bandwidth? Look at some of the stuff that we've been talking about for the past greater than an hour now. What do I measure? I measure what my team is doing, how many hours they're taking to do it. I'm measuring cash flow, future cash flow. Uh, accounts receivable. All these things are actually what help you make a good decision around something like that. And absent that, you're literally flying blind in the clouds at midnight. You can't possibly know unless you've taken the time to measure. And honestly, that is what creates a really good business owner is that they're operating with the best information possible at all times. And like I said, to go back to the beginning of the episode, you know, we have Nate and I haven't been able to restrain ourselves. Originally, the concept of this episode was like, Hey, let's just give people a few simple things in each category. And of course, being who we are, we started there, but then we started adding up. Well, then we do this, and then I went this, and then it got more sophisticated. It was this? I hope that doesn't distract from the basic stuff that we started each category in, because there's probably less than a dozen things here to keep track of, which oh, could yeah. be collected in just a couple hours each month. And the collection of that information while it could take time, while it does take time, will save you so much more time in the long run. I think of something that famed piano educator, Suzanne Guy said about teaching piano. She said something like, for every 10 minutes that my students practice technique, scales, arpeggios, they save an hour in practice in their repertoire. Mm. This was, this was her, one of the mottos of her studio. And and there's a book called the wit and wisdom of Suzanne guy. She's just an incredible, was an incredible educator. Um, and, uh, I, I would say the same thing that the fires that I've avoided having to put out because of the visibility I have in the business you can't measure that. So what I think most studio owners do, most school owners do is they just look at the time cost of doing this and be like, it's not worth it. I've got all this other garbage I have to deal with. Why would I go like around the business and looking at that software and talking to those people and collecting all this information when I've already got all this other stuff to do? We said in the annual planning episode, the reason you're doing it is because you're not doing this. So you could trade those hours for a lot fewer hours. And you could trade those headaches for what I would call relative peace and calm, because I'm going to bring this home in a big way that about two years ago, when I go, and again, I know I'm not talking specifically about the music studio. I could give examples from my music studio, but I saw the writing on the wall in certain things in our numbers about trends that I thought I saw happening in our industry and how that would impact our business and how we serve studios. I saw this over two years ago and I saw it at the headwaters. I saw it when it wasn't a big deal. And I thought, oh, that's interesting and and it came through just different metrics we track how things were converting how many people were joining our programs and i thought huh and so i began to think well if this turns into if this continues in this trend that means a year from now there's going to be some problems and so i started a year before it actually did end up becoming a problem i started some new projects to head this off at the pass as it were and if we didn't do that we would have been in serious trouble yeah it's so and and I would have had, I would have, and I, I would, there would have been this, these bad business results that didn't happen and I wouldn't have known how to deal with it. And I wouldn't even know where it would come from because, because I wouldn't have been tracking. And so it would have just caught me unawares and I would have all these fires to put out and, and possibly a business in danger of failing.
0: Uh, I was going to say the, you know, you ask this question all the time, which I love, which is what's going to stop any of our listeners from having success with this. And you hit it on the head. It's if they choose to remain in chaos and just avoid taking the time to do what you did on that Saturday afternoon and begin by saying, "Hey, I want to organize at least one metric that I'll look at every week." You know, And some of our listeners probably already do look at a handful of metrics, and that's awesome. And so hopefully you've picked up two or three more, um, because the thing is is if you're not taking the space, as you said, Daniel, you either won't see the trends and you run the risk of actually having your business go under. I have a very good, I have close friends that just lost a business in the last year and a half due to exactly this. They uh. took their eye off the financial numbers. They were a multi-million-dollar business and they literally went, had to file for personal bankruptcy. And it's uh. heartbreaking. And they were incredibly successful in other metrics. But their financial metrics they took their eyes off of, specifically their cash flow. Um, so you either have to run the risk, like you said, of the business going under, or you run the risk of continuing to work 70 hour weeks because you've never actually taken the time to organize and to understand where you're going to be of the most value. Hey, it's Nate again. You know, every year at Brooklyn Music Factory, we get dozens and dozens of great reviews from our families. And you want to know how? Because we ask them, and they're happy to leave a review because of the positive impact that we've made on them. And so now I have a simple ask for you. If this podcast, the 7FMS podcast was helpful to you, would you mind leaving a review for Daniel and I? And please, Share the podcast with another music school owner that you think might benefit. It's one of the best ways that you can support us. We appreciate it.